Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I hope you got a bulletin as you're coming in. Again, let me welcome you. And if you're here for the first time or visiting with us and you would like to fill out the little blue card that you'll see sometimes in your pew, we'd love to have a record of your visit. We also want to encourage you to follow along in the service. So when we do our readings and our confessions, we invite you to be a part of that. Uh, we do have songs. Some are in the bulletin and some are also in the hymn book. So if they're not there, they'll tell you. But we want you to follow along. If you need the Lord's Prayer as we share together, it's also inside the red cover of the hymn book. If you're interested in helping us through the summer, even subbing in our Sunday school as people travel, we need help. And so please let us know, and we'll be glad to plug you in uh, as we go forward. Uh, also, I'm not sure if they're even here today, so I thought I would go ahead and ask, and we can kind of do it as the people are here. But I saw Tom and Kim Stroka, their family was running around here because they're in the choir. I saw Wally and Zinnia Bedminster, their family's running around because that's just what they do. Uh, is Bruce and Elaine Holtzman here? They're here. Gay O'Hara, is she here? Is Gay here? And what about Tim McGreer? He's here. Could I ask those families to please stand for a moment? Mr. Tim McGreer, here's the Bedminster family, and there's the Stroka family. And then we have, yes, the back Holtzman. So the only one we don't have is oh, gay. What we normally do in a Presbyterian church is these are the families that have come to join our church in the last several months. They've shared their testimony and their faith with us. Part of the BCO is that we ask them the same questions that you have been asked. As I ask them, I ask you to rethink the questions that you have been asked about your vows. So if you're standing for this, let me please ask you the formal questions, and if you could respond just as you did. Oh, there, the Kerwins are here too. Thank you. There, I saw them as well. All right. Let me ask these questions. Do you acknowledge yourself to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope save in his sovereign mercy? Yes, we do. I was going to start throwing things. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Yes. Do you now resolve and promise and humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? Yes. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Yes. And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace. And as you as a church, if you agree to those same confessions, would you say, I do? I do. And now you may say, welcome to our family. Amen. You may be seated. It's always a blessing, and if we've missed you as the time goes on, I do know the Strokas are going to bring Alana to be baptized, hopefully the first part of June. So... Uh, if you two are praying about baptism, we encourage you to come and see me as we go forward. Well, let me open in a word of prayer, and if you would, join me in the Lord's Prayer. It's inside the red hymn book if you need it, and then we'll continue in our service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for those who have come to join with us. Lord, it's your church, whether it's this building or another. Lord, even if it's another denomination uh, that's different. Lord, we realize that though we vary in our likes and dislikes of worship, though we vary in our styles of music. Lord, sometimes we have different gifts that you've equipped us with. We realize it's the same Lord, the same Holy Spirit, same God. Lord, we do pray uh, that you would uphold those truths in your churches. And for those that have squandered those, and those that have gone astray, and those who have began to teach things other than the gospel, that, Lord, you would reveal that to your children and lead them to places where they can serve, where they know you are being put first. Lord, I ask that you use the gifts that you've given each of these new members. Let them help form and fashion your church here in the Davidsonville area that we could minister to our community. Lord, I pray for the women in the retreat as they learn to share their testimony, that you would revive within them the, the opportunities to share with others. I pray for the men who concluded the study of Matthew, that they would see the importance of sharing the Great Commission. Lord, we, we pray for our church and all those who are serving, our missionaries that are abroad. Lord, especially this morning again for Nancy as she continues to minister uh, in the Poland region there for all the, the people who have been displaced from Ukraine. That she would be able to not only teach the children the truth in education, 
but to give them the truth of the word that would change their lives and give them hope forever. Lord, all these things we bring before you, knowing that, again, it's only because your son, Jesus Christ, opened the veil through his death on the cross and has allowed us to boldly come to the throne of grace where we can pray together and say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please stand as I call us to worship and as we prepare our hearts to sing. Uh, our children will be up here to lead us in worship for a moment and then lead us in their special song. But if I can, join with me if you'll read the bold print as I read the light print. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever. Amen. Thank you, Kids Choir. I invite you now to turn back in your bulletin to where it says Confession of Faith. We'll be confessing our faith through the words of the larger catechism. I will read the question and then let's respond together. How does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and free and immutable counsel of his own will. What is the work of creation? 
the work of creation is that wherein God did in the beginning, by the word of his power, make of nothing the world and all things therein for himself within the space of six days and all very good. How did God create angels? God created all the angel spirits, immortal, holy, excelling in knowledge, mighty in power, to execute his commandments and to praise his name, yet subject to change. As we prepare to confess our sins together, let me read for us from Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, which speaks of our responsibility to come together and worship but also to encourage one another and spur one another on. God's word says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need that brothers and sisters to encourage one another each day and to encourage one another toward these good works. And as we're about to pray together, we're admitting that we have not done that as we should. So let's pray together this short prayer that's for us in the bulletin. Forgive our faithlessness, O faithful God, and see beyond our apathy, our thoughtlessness, our self-centeredness, our wrong choices. See into our hearts, for you are our treasure. Amen. And the assurance of pardon comes from Hosea 11, 8, and 9. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. This is the great promise that we enjoy in Christ, that though we have sinned, though we have fallen short and not lived up to that high calling to think not only of ourselves, but to think of others and how we can help them, Jesus comes as our perfect Savior and Redeemer, and we no longer have to fear the wrath of God because Jesus has taken that upon himself and turned it away from us. So rejoice in Jesus, your Savior and Redeemer. Now is the time that we will give our tithes and offerings. So I invite the ushers to come and let me lead us in prayer. Our great Heavenly Father, you have given us so much. You give us yourself. You give us your Son. You give us your Holy Spirit. You give us a high calling. You give us a family to be a part of, not merely our natural family, but this supernatural family that you have chosen for us. We now give back to you a portion of what you've given to us, saying thank you, saying that we trust you, and we commit ourselves to your work and what you're doing, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again to our music team for coming and helping, and if you're excited to have Lois back playing with us, say amen. amen. It's always a blessing to have those of you actually use your gifts. And so many of you, whether it's in the choir, in the teaching, in the children's programs, thank you for using your gifts to help us. We're in Hebrews, and uh, I have a special Mother's Day sermon for the mothers and it's the same one I would have preached normally. Uh, it's right here in Hebrews, and we're continuing through learning about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, it may not make sense while it is so important to lift Jesus above the angels. And we've already said that I won't rehash it. But back into the Essene community, which was revealed to us in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that there was also communities outside the Pharisees and Sadducees who were very interested in the angelic life. And even today, we find ourselves in many places and in many pictures and in many movies, finding ourselves worshiping the things that God created 
rather than Jesus Christ himself. And here we pick up in verse 7 where we learn that he truly is king. That one of the reasons he is supreme above all is that he is the only king. He's the risen king. We'll learn as we go through, but the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop with just a few quotations. Now, I know many of you like to discuss and debate and defend. How many of you love to defend scripture? I hope you raise your hand. We call it apologetics. It comes from the word, the same thing when we apologize for something. You bump into somebody, you apologize, you give a defense. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Oh, I, I wasn't watching where I was going. Folks, it's the same thing. When someone says something about your scriptures, you go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see it that way. Let me tell you how I saw it. And you begin to defend your faith. It's called apologetics. Well, the writer of Hebrews, obviously familiar with what is known as the Septuagint, because he quotes many of these Old Testament passages, but he quotes them from the Greek, which means sometimes if you go back into the Hebraic texts and think, wait a minute, that's not the same word that was used, it's because he's referring to the Septuagint, which means the author of Hebrews was very familiar with the Septuagint and the Old Testament, which was translated into Greek. And so he quotes several passages of Scripture because he wants to reiterate again that how in the world could anyone miss the Messiah? We live in a world today where it is so hard to find Jesus Christ. And if the writer of Hebrews was with us today, he would simply say, well, didn't you read the Old Testament? Didn't you read the scriptures that you had? Didn't you hear the truths that have been presented to you? I could ask you the same question this morning, not to be mean or not to put you on the spot. And don't raise your hands. How many of you have ever completely read the Old Testament? You see, sometimes we get bogged down in the names and the genealogies and the sacrificial systems and everything that took place. Sometimes we don't get a list of all the cities and all the people that were involved. Sometimes we get to the point where we're like, ah, okay, yeah, 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 okay, what's the good stuff? And we go right to the New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews says, until you see the Old Testament for what it is, and see it then through the eyes of the New Testament to realize what it says, it's not going to matter much. Finding a Jesus revealed only in the New Testament still leaves many of us stranded to the depths of our Christianity. Now, I'm not saying you cannot read the New Testament and get saved. What I'm saying is if you read only the New Testament, you're missing the fulfillment of so much of who Jesus really is. And so I encourage you, as the writer of Hebrews does right here, he's, he's saying to us, let's make sense of where we are because the Old Testament made it clear. And now I can go back and show you why Jesus is who he is because of what he has done in the Old Testament. It begins in verse 7. He begins the same phrases when he says, of the angels, which one of them, if you wish, did he say that he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, folks, this is a conversation between God and God. I hope you catch that. A messianic psalm between Jesus and his Father, each one calling each God. Therefore, God, that would be the same word as if you said Jesus, your God has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions, the children of faith. And again, he quotes from Psalm 102, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And finally, he says, to which of the angels has he ever said? He begins the same way he began the statement back in the first part of the chapter. The answer is obviously the negative. He hasn't. To which has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then he gives us the conclusion. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve? Talking about angels. 
for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. In a nutshell, so which ones are the king? Are they the angels? Are they the servants? Are the ones who have come through fire and wind in their demonstrations of God's sending on their lives? Or is it Jesus himself? Are you caught up in the mediation of what Jesus is giving us? Or are you caught up in Jesus? Are you caught up in the miracles that Jesus had performed? Or are you caught up in Jesus? That would have been the New Testament interpretation. Because so many came to Jesus when he would heal the lame, cure the blind, even fed them from just a few loaves and fish. Do you remember after the feeding of the thousands, they began to leave and the disciples were upset. Jesus, do something else. Do something to keep their attention because they're starting to leave. Do you remember what Jesus said? Let them go. For they are not really of us. They were more caught up in the miracle than they were in the one who did the miracle. This morning, before I start, let me say to you importantly, are you caught up in all that Jesus is doing for you? Or are you caught up in Jesus? Are you caught up in all that the world wants to talk about concerning Jesus? Or are you caught up in Jesus? That's what he's challenging us. And he begins by doing this again from quoting several. Let's begin with the first one in verse 7. He makes his angels winds and ministers flames of fire. It's the majority text that uses those phrases because the Greek and the angelos is a messenger. If you were to read it from the first, you would say he makes his messengers. It actually reads in the majority text, if you wish, that he makes winds his messengers. And then he says he... The flames of fire, his servants, the Angelos. That's the majority text. But again, reading from the Septuagint, he quotes it back and makes it sound like he makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire. He's not claiming them to be wind and fire. Those are the elements that are a parable or a symbolism of like what they do. Because throughout all of scripture, we see angels being used by the Father to accomplish them. So much so that these messengers are sometimes hard to even grasp. Sometimes when the angels make their presence known, we're more caught up in that angel than in the message they were sent to give. Do you see how easy it is in a world where we're so filled with drama and we so much want there to be drama, especially in a Western world? We're caught up in the, the fanaticism of it all. We're caught up in the excitement of it all. We're caught up in the drama of it all, and we miss what was really intended. Sometimes even in a relationship, if I can go so far as to say, sometimes we're so blinded by nature's anesthesia in a relationship, we don't really see what's happening between us. And Maybe today's the day that you realize I'm so caught up in, in the scene of my life that I'm missing what's really happening in my life. And maybe God, for one of the first times in your life, is saying, I've been speaking. I've been asking. I've been telling. And I want to make it clear. That's exactly what happens. How do we get these angels? You can go to Matthew 13 or Revelations 20, Revelation 20, and say that there are many things that we see happening as messengers executioners. Revelation makes it clear that angels even bring about the separating of the sheep and the goats. Revelation even brings about that when they were cast into the fires, it will be the angels that will be a part of that. When we speak about the life of the winds and how they come, folks, it's amazing that even in the book of Daniel, we find ourselves challenged because while Daniel is praying to the Lord, the angel shows up to answer his prayer like wind like Ruach. In other words, as fast as he could begin to pray, the answer was already being sent. Isn't that amazing? Like fire and like wind, the angels are his servants. It was the angels that appeared to Elijah when he was battling against the army, and they were ready to surrender until one looked up and said, what? Our army is much larger than their army. If you've never read the story, there was no army, but in the appearance of what the angels provided, they were ready to conquer. It was the angels that appeared at the birth of Jesus Christ. It was the host of angels to declare who he was. It was the angels in the temptations in the desert of Jesus. 
that ministered? Do you remember when they even said to the words of Satan himself, why don't you just cast yourself down and let the angels take care of you? He quotes scripture and says he gives his angels charge over thee from Psalm. Even the devil knew scripture. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to tempt the Lord my God. Do you remember what happened after the temptation when Jesus won? The angels came. It's as if they were right there beside waiting for him to call at his beckoning call. Lord, if you want us to come, we'll come. We'll get you. You do what you want. We're here. We're at your beck and call. They were there at the temptation and ministered to him. And what about the empty tomb? It was the angels that revealed where he was. Oh, when we begin to think about the importance of these servants, even the angels will accompany Christ when he returns. Go to Mark. Go to Matthew and Luke. It's when the returning king comes that the angels accompany him. And that's why it's so easy to put our faith, what? In the angels, in the ones that are helping, in the ones that are ministering, in the ones that have been sent. But it is the king at the right hand of the father that needs your attention. It is the king who needs your allegiance. Oh, those angels are great expressions of his sovereignty. But angels are not sovereign. Angels cannot do anything without first being commissioned and sent by Christ. Just who do you place your faith in? They're limited. They're finite. They're created beings. There is no comparison when it comes to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. But that's not enough. He goes a little bit further and listen to what he says. Not only is it important to see that part, but listen to what he says in verses 8 and 9. He pulls them from Psalm 45. If you want to go back, write that down. It's probably in the footnotes of your Bible. If you have a Bible that has footnotes in it, you can see that at the bottom. It's not a secret. It says, your throne, O God. Isn't that amazing? That the writing is coming to Jesus about the throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness, hated the wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. A messianic psalm, again, obviously a reference to Jesus as God. A revelation of his truth that he's speaking to the one who was there with him in the beginning. Some of the challenging thoughts that we have. I won't take you that deep. Sometimes it's fun to sit down and just meditate and think about what it was when Jesus asked the Father that I be brought back to you so that I can have the glory I had before I became flesh. Ponder that. Ponder the king at the right hand of the Father with the glory that he had before he came makes it hard to picture who Jesus is in his fullness. The glory that he deserves when his only father calls him God and then reveals to us the importance. Just what's your impression of Jesus? Do you see him as God? I know the Trinity is tough. I know the Trinity's hard to accept, but that's why we baptize our children in the name of the what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To baptize them in the name of one just doesn't bring it together. So all of a sudden, we find ourselves this divine human meeting. It's not just here. You could go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. You go to Romans 9, 5, Titus 2, 2 Peter 1. You go through your Bible. You go through the connections that you have. It's not a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. It's understanding that the human and the divine have met. The Davidic kingdom has now become the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. The one who was promised through David, the promises of Scripture, the scepter of uprightness, now becomes the kingdom of God. It's been brought to us. It's fully. No other person could take the role of the Messiah other than Jesus Christ. Many kingdoms come and go. But listen, 2 Samuel chapter 7 was the promise of the Davidic king. It was the promise that one of David's children would stay on the throne for how long? Forever. Not an Israelite from somewhere else, 
that one of David's seeds would last forever. Now catch this. Human kingdoms come and go, do they not? Human emperors come and go along with their empires. There are those that are going to try to hold on to them, expand them, take advantage of others, try to have more than they should. Does it sound familiar today at all of where we're living? But they come and go. There's no stability to them. There's no permanence to them. How many of you go to bed at nights afraid of some of those kings and kingdoms we used to have? I want you to think about it in just a moment when we go back to see the importance of what happens to those kingdoms. When David's last forever, it's this mixture of an injustice, if you wish, and discrimination. Find a human kingdom, find a human emperor who does not mix injustice and unrighteousness. And yet there'll come a day when we are told this king establishes the one of righteousness and justice, where we begin to be treated as the children and heirs of the king. Oh, it's amazing that so many of us have given up so much for that which lasts so little time. It's amazing how many of our children have gone on to fight for many of the kingdoms that have never lasted. Again, I ask you, how many of you would go to bed tonight in fear of a king like Napoleon? Have you not been teaching your children about the injustices and the inequalities of Napoleon? Are you not preparing them to get ready for the rise up of Napoleon to come back and to take things over? I mean, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Well, what about some of the others? Are you afraid of Potiphar? Are you afraid of Herod, Nebuchadnezzar? You see, what happens to the earthly kingdoms? What if I were to say, what about Hussein or Hitler? See, we live in a time where the past kingdoms, we realize they're gone. And yet so many people have given everything for something that didn't last or was worth nothing. And yet as children of the king, Christians, you never have to be disillusioned. You never have to go through those heartaches because we're fighting for a kingdom that lasts forever. The stands that you make, the times that you rise up, the differences that you call for, the justices that you demand, the inequalities that you overcome, the righteousness you portray, the unrighteousness you disregard and overcome is not for nothing. It's to set the standards of the kingdom that's coming about through our one and only king. Don't be disillusioned. I know there are theologies that waver. You can be Arminian and be saved, I think. You can be Baptist and still be right. Methodist, still be okay. Folks, we have theologies that different religions and institutions that grow and shrink. I, it's not but weekly that I hear about the new biggest church on the scene, the one that's outside the suburbs, the new one that's up and coming, and the new pastor, and how it's growing, and the new programs. Five years from now, we'll hear about when he left, what happened? Oh, the church is struggling. It's going through hard times. It's not making it. We see the rise and the falls of those. We see denominations that rise and crumble. Folks, we even see churches themselves that start from scratch and die. We even see people who commit their lives one moment and then walk away the next. Not so with the kingdom. The kingdom of Christ. It will never go away. It will never be obsolete. The scepter that is put forth is the scriptures that we believe. It's how God is reigning today through the hearts of his people. He's given us the truth. He's given us the son. He's given us what we need in order to accomplish his purposes to bring the kingdom on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is what? In heaven. We have the right to go forward. You don't need to be discouraged. It's never going to be a time for Christians where it's going to be obsolete. Kingdoms of God, if you wish, may come and go of small gods, but we'll only have one kingdom of the God, our God. We'll only have one king, not many. 
He'll be the king of righteousness. All of these things that we learn from one psalm in 45. Yes, for us as Christians, there is an eternal place and an eternal purpose that you are serving for. You know what my question to you is? Have you even discovered what that purpose is? Are you still living in a world with worldly values, worldly structures, and accomplishing worldly gains? Are you still having worldly dreams that you would like to accomplish? Or have you reached the point that your mind is set on the things above? Where you're trying to accomplish the things for the kingdom in which you belong. So that the changes that you make are changes that are eternal. They're changes that make a difference in the lives of people. And you bring worth to those who feel worthless. Meaning to those who feel meaningless. And power to those who are powerless. All by simply pointing them to who? Jesus Christ. O oh God, your throne of righteousness is forever. Anointed with an oil of gladness. Beyond that of just the spirit of giving to him at his baptism. Beyond that of which they say anointed him. It goes to an understanding of what's taking place. Why of gladness? Because we see that the accomplishment has been done for the redemption of his people. Mankind, redemption has been set. There's now a presence in the opportunity of the throne room of heaven for all of us. It is with gladness that the Holy Spirit has now been offered as Jesus went. He now gives it to his children. It's an amazing story in Peter 3.18 when we realize that one died and he died only once. And he died once for all sin, all his children's sin, all those that the angels were sent to minister to, verse 14, all those that were sent out as flames of fire and systems of winds. It begins to make sense when you put it together that he sent them for me. He gives his angels charge over me to keep me in all thy ways. My God, my God. The same words that Jesus used at the cross. All of a sudden we begin to realize that the writer is now not only saying that, hey, serve the Lord, not the angels because they're only servants, but he's saying serve the Lord because it's an everlasting righteous kingdom. Christ demonstrates that righteousness while he was here on earth. He overcame the evil. He stood up for all that his father told him to accomplish. And the righteousness that he showed, he left for us. Did you know that? It wasn't just the great commission. When he left this world and he said, go ye therefore and make disciples. He also said this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. To be an heir of the king puts a standard before us that says, serve the king and no one else. Do you know why? You cannot love a righteous kingdom and sin at the same time. Serve the risen king. He goes on. Look what he says in verse 10 to 12 when he gives us the quote from Psalm 102. Let me do it as we can run through these statements. He uses the word you, Lord, in verse 10. If you go up to verse 8, he uses the word your throne, O oh God. You may not catch that. It's the difference between Elohim and Yahweh. It's between the words of one who is creator and one who is the sustainer and maker in relationships. He's blending them all back together. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forevermore. Listen to the words in the beginning of verse 10. Verse 11, you remain the same. 12, like a robe and a garment, they'll be changed, but you are the what? Same. He's constantly reiterating the importance of serving the one who never changes. There was a beginning to all things, and he was there when it started. And when the things that were created are gone, he still remains. 
Your hope is in permanence. This morning, if you have confessed Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of your life, His kingship over you, you have something that's permanent, something that your hope will never let you down. The changes will come. Things will take place. It's only a matter of time because His kingdom lasts because He is king lasts. You could write it down this way and mark it in your mind. The kingdom of God lasts because the king who is God lives. That's what keeps it going forward. The comparison that he makes in verses 8 to 10 is between Jesus and the angels. Do you see Jesus as the God creator, the God sustainer, Yahweh, the revealer of the one who chooses all things? Or do you see it in the revealing through his angels? Look at the comparisons. Jesus is Lord and God. The angels only worship him. Jesus is the creator. Elohim, if you wish. The angels were the created. Jesus is the infinite, independent, always Yahweh revealer. And yet the angels are only finite and dependent beings. Folks, this just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. You could spend weeks and weeks in following the scriptures and the references to understanding the full kingdom of God. Everything the creator makes has the mark of time on it. You have the mark of time. Trees have the mark of time. Animals, the mark of time. Oh, we have to begin to ask ourselves just how much time to make the decisions that are important. Do we confess Do we claim? Because when things are marked with time, things change. Things are unstable. Things are unpredictable. As most people would say, the only thing that's predictable in life is the what? The unpredictable. But not true when it comes to the kingdom of God. Not true when it comes to King Jesus. We can't find a time in which we can predict an unpredictable. We can be predictable. We can trust the prophetic We can trust the revelation. Those are all the terms that are used with Jesus because he never changes. He's always been, he always will be, and he's gathering together the heirs of his kingdom. So there's no reason for discouragement. Things in your life right now may be changing. Things may not be very stable. And it may not even be predictable. And if you're at a point in life in which you need the permanence, You need something that's predictable. You're ready for the stable. You're ready for that which you can trust in. I can only say one thing to you. Turn to the Psalms or turn to Hebrews and turn to Jesus Christ. The only permanence and the only stability you can trust. That's why we serve our King. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And he never stops loving you. Oh, the writer of Hebrews goes beyond even that when he gives us this last little bit. When he goes to verse 13 and requotes the same as things have started when he says, And to which of these angels? And the answer, obviously, from the text, well, none. Did he say, sit at my right hand? You know, the pre-existence of Jesus, determined by the words, in the beginning. His permanence, given the same words, he remains the same. You never change. Even his perpetual kingdom, ongoing, eternal part, from the words, you will have no end. And then he says, sit at my right hand until... I want you to circle that word. It's brought more discussion than so many things because everywhere in its usage, it means something must end. We have just learned the kingdom is forever. And you will sit at my right hand until. Until something is accomplished, until something is completed, and then it's over. We don't have time to do it all today. We can journey that through Sunday schools, but let me give you glimpses. Can the angels say they sit at the right hand? No. 
Only Jesus has that. Psalm 110, it's the most quoted, that's where this comes from, phrase that we have in the New Testament. Jesus quotes it many times. Matthew 22, who refers us back to it. Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2 at the giving of Pentecost. Paul quotes it and go and read 1 Corinthians 15, the whole point of the coming again of Jesus Christ and the resurrections of the body and what his kingdom will come and all the things that are tied to this king who sits until the most honored place anyone could have. We said it earlier, the highest of highest. So high that even James and John's mother said what? Come on, would you please let my sons... Do you know what their names were? Do you remember what they called them in the Greek? They were the sons of what? Thunder. Bonerges. Because they had attitudes. Easy tempers to, to flare. But please put my kids at the highest place. Parents, let me ask you, have you ever even thought you deserve the right to say to your king, raise my children to the highest place? Who could blame any parent for wanting their children to sit next to the king? Oh, all of a sudden we realize that he's not always sitting not a literal phrase of his eternal kingdom where he sits. He sits because it shows he's accomplished the task. I can't get into it today, but you must understand the messianic and the mediatorial kingdoms. There's more accomplished than just one thing here. So let me take you on the quick journey that he stands even at the throne when he pleads our cases. He stands as it's a courtroom, and we know it's true because remember when Stephen was stoned, what did he do? He stood. Folks, we have glimpses throughout all of Scripture and here even in the Old Testament of what is this kingdom going to be like when you have a king who lasts forever, who existed forever, who took on a form of flesh, returns back to the glory with his father, yet reigns forevermore. Oh, we could go on and on in a text, but until I make your enemies a footstool. It's the emblem that they get even in the days of war. Do you remember what a conquering king would do to the opposing king? They would lie them down, take their foot and what? Place it on their neck and make them a footstool as a symbol that you have been conquered. Until it hasn't happened all yet. He is alive and he's reigning from on high. We're not waiting for him to reign. He's reigning. We're not waiting for him to accomplish his purpose. He's accomplishing it. We're not waiting for all these things of sacrificial systems to come. They've been accomplished. But until the final enemy is conquered, he will continue to reign at the right hand of his father. But he's not staying there. Because 1 Thessalonians makes it clear that he's coming again for me. And when he comes again, he'll even be hosted by the archangel to come back. Oh, I want to tell you about this kingdom that when he comes, I hope and pray that many of you are not caught by the angel that accompanies him. Because the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those of us who are alive will be caught to meet him in the air. And the system begins to unfold and begin to make sense that the judgment day is coming. That the angels will be involved. He will separate the sheep from the goat. The righteous from the unrighteous. And eternity begins. Why? Because until that happens, he reigns in the hearts of his people. But one day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We will have the redeemed experiencing the permanence of a body that partakes of perfection. And yes, then we are told he will hand the kingdom to his father and God will be all in all. So is he through? No. For most of you in a story, I could stop right here and say the end. But for Christians, that's not true. Revelation even tells us in chapter 22, his kingdom will not end. 
And even those in heaven today have given us the glimpse that the Lamb in the midst of the throne with the Father. Do you have a place along with the saints from old around the throne of the Father? You can be elevated close to the right hand. And you can be in the presence of the Father. And you can be around all the angels that will be worshiping him. If you choose not to worship the angels. And choose to worship Christ. This morning, whatever it is in your life that's caught your fancy. Whatever it is that's caught your attention. Again, the writer says to us, let's not focus on the instruments that Jesus has sent. Let's not focus on the things that he's accomplished. Let's focus on him. Place your focus on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have revealed so much to us in your word within just a short few verses of the Old Testament. Lord, you are the same today as you were then. Father, thank you for revealing these truths, for helping us through these predicaments when it's so hard for us to understand. Lord, we still, with finite minds, it's hard to fathom. In an imperfect body, to see eternity. In a powerless situation, to know power. Yet, Father, we trust that through your Son, Jesus Christ, through what he has accomplished, we realize that a kingdom of righteousness has no place for us and our unrighteousness. And so we ask you, like clothes, to change us. Change us and clothe us with the righteousness of your Son. So we'll be fit for the kingdom. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd receive the benediction, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.